Braves have won the game in the bottom of the 10th inning. What is happening in Oakland, Ray Fossey? I have no idea, Glenn Kuyper. Welcome to the A's Insider Podcast on NBCSportsCalifornia.com. Introducing your host, Oakland A's Insider, Joe Stiglitz. Well, the A's have had lots of legendary players, coaches, and managers since moving to Oakland in 1968, but there's no one more interwoven into the fabric of this franchise than longtime equipment manager Steve Vucinich. Steve's been with the team since they arrived from Kansas City, which means he's currently enjoying his 50th season with a team. And to put that into context, the only person with a longer tenure at the club is Hall of Fame manager and owner Connie Mack, who was part of the A's for 54 years. So a uh, real pleasure to have Steve join me for my latest podcast. And the great thing about talking to him is you always walk away having learned something about the A's that you never knew before. So he is the authority on the history of the Oakland A's and a link really to every historic moment that's happened with this team over the decades in Oakland. And let me tell you, we do this interview inside the, inside the A's clubhouse, inside his office, and I can't believe I actually got Steve pretty much uninterrupted for 20 minutes. So though you will hear his office phone ring a couple of times, because his office is quite the hub of, uh, of social activity before A's home game. So let's get to it. Hope you enjoy this conversation with the man everybody knows simply as Voos. Voos, I really appreciate you taking time here. Thanks so much. Always a pleasure, Joe. Hey, so, okay, you're one of just, this is pretty amazing. You're one of two people to have been with the A's for 50-plus years, you and the legendary Connie Mack. What is it like to be in a two-person club that includes just you and a Hall of Famer like Connie Mack? Well, it's funny because Connie Mack was almost done before I was born. So, <laughs> so we're talking about two big different eras, the first half of the century and then uh, almost the second right. half. But, you know, it's nice to be mentioned in the same breath. Obviously, he was the owner and manager for some 50 years of the Philadelphia Athletics and uh, I think one of the founders in the American League and I think one of the in- original inductees of the Baseball Hall of Fame. Um, but uh, it's nice to be paralleled with him, especially uh, uh, the 50-plus years. And uh, I don't know if I'm going to catch him, but uh, I'll come close. <laughs> uh, so you started with the A's back in 1968. They first moved to Oakland from Kansas City. Back then when you started here, did you have any sense at all, you know what, maybe this is an organization I can grow some roots with? Maybe I'll be here a while. Not at all, because I grew up as a Giants fan, although I lived uh, up in the hills just above the Coliseum Uh and didn't even attempt to try to do anything. And it was kind of a quirky thing. They hired five kids to work in a clubhouse. I knew four of the five, although they really didn't know each other after opening day. They told me the one I didn't know quit. I came down and talked to then equipment manager who ended up hiring me, and I've been here ever since. And you know, to think about a club when I was growing up ever playing in Oakland, let alone being associated Then you add to 50-plus years, it's like a dream come true, but nothing you could have ever imagined in advance. You know, and take me back to that time, 1968. What's your recollection of of the mood of the city here when the A's got here? Obviously, the the Raiders had been here a while. The Warriors had were pretty entrenched, too. Uh, was there a lot of anticipation about a baseball team coming to Oakland? Was, were people kind of – was it more wait and see? What do you remember just about how the community at first embraced the team? Well, with the Raiders being here uh, since the early 60s and playing in Frank Hill Field downtown – Um, there was a need for a bigger stadium. And they thought, well, let's build a bigger stadium. And baseball has expanded in the past. Maybe we can snatch a baseball team. And, of course, Charlie Finley was always threatening to to leave Kansas City. It was mentioned Louisville. It was mentioned Florida. It was mentioned New Orleans. And uh, once uh, the Coliseum was built two years later, he was able to get out of his lease in Kansas City. He always said the O was for Oakland and Charles O. Finley. Uh, It might have been a little stretch. But um, uh, 
getting baseball here and pairing it with football really made Oakland a big league town. And being a native of Oakland, I'm very proud of that. Now, the Warriors only played a few games in Oakland at the old auditorium. And then when the Coliseum Arena opened, they played three or four and were so successful that by three or four years later, they were playing all their games here. Right. So you joined the team 1968 as a ball boy, right? That's correct. By the next year, I know you were you were kind of working on the clubhouse in the clubhouse staff on the equipment managing side of things. Um, what was the best part about getting into this side of the job for you? Was it just getting to know big league ball players? Was it the nature of the work itself? I, mean, I imagine somehow. What was it that kind of got its hooks in you? Uh, to be around those guys and to see their professionalism and, and you know to think, like I said, I grew up rooting for the Giants and never even getting close to Willie Mays or Willie McCovey right. or Lando Cepeda. But now being to interact with the players one-on-one on a daily basis at age 15 and 16, to hear their stories, to hear what they do and how they work and their ethics and and uh, just to see how good they really are, uh, it, it was really inspirational to want to continue on. Yeah. And knowing when the club moved here in 68, it was really the basis those championship teams in the early 70s and you could see they were going to get better they're going to get more experienced and with the right uh, fundamentals and things like that they're going to win and i was you know happy to stay on through those years day to day nobody sees this club quite like you i mean you're here every day so you kind of see the ups and downs of this team you would see a team like that develop right i mean you kind of have the doing what you do you have the pulse of the club in a way that most people can't even imagine having Absolutely. I mean, the first year out here, they still had the two 10-team leagues. And the next year, they expanded and they split the divisions. If uh, in 1968, when they had 10-team division, we actually had the best record of anybody in the West. Uh, granted, two of the teams hadn't even started playing yet, Seattle or Kansas City. But of the other four, three or four, uh, we had the best record. So you could see the foundation was there. The Catfish Hunters, the Blue Moon Odoms, Vita Blue on the Horizon, uh, Reggie, Sal, Tennis, Rudy, all those guys that were mainstays through those championship years. The trade of Rick Money to Kenny Holzman to kind of solidify the pitching staff for 72. Uh, you could see this club was going to get better. What was your relationship like with Charlie Finley? Well, at the beginning, he just saw me as a kid, which was fine right. because then I didn't have to interact with him. And it's not like he was a bad person, but he was a tough person to work for. Later on, he'd call you and yell and spend, back in the days when phone calls cost a lot more, spend $3 to argue about a $5 laundry bill. <laughs> One piece of advice he gave me, he says, Steve, never spend your pennies, save your pennies and spend your thousands and never pay a bill till you have to. Well, that doesn't work out in society today, but it worked okay for Charlie Finley because he could call up people saying, I don't have the money now, I'm not paying, and they're just happy to be talking to Charlie Finley on the phone. Right. You know, I imagine one of the most hectic parts of your job is the day a, a guy arrives either in a trade or arrives a new guy arrives to the team. You got to get him in uniform. You got to get him feeling comfortable, right? What is the first the first priority for you? What's kind of the, the process of getting a guy just integrated into the team, getting him ready, getting him outfitted, and everything? Well, a lot of time, fortunately, my relationship with Billy Beans and Dave Forrest and previous Sandy Alderson was so that I was given a heads up before a trade was made, before a guy was coming up uh, from the minor leagues. And uh, what kind of saved me is I don't care who's going down or going out, or at least I tell the players that. (laughs) It's just that i got to know who's here. And the only time I ever got caught short was somehow in the uh, 2002 or 2003 when we acquired Ricardo Rincon from Cleveland. We were playing the Indians. 
and they forgot to tell me about that, and so I had to call in a guy and have Rincon sitting by his locker, literally when they were sewing a uniform for him twenty feet away. So that starts a process. You got to get uniforms, and then you've got to get bat orders going if they're a, a position player. You record their sizes. A lot of times, sizes are passed on between the other equipment managers. If there's something I can't reach the factory, say at nighttime, to get a size, yeah. the the equipment manager from the uh, acquiring club would be on the phone, and we, we'd discuss sizes, trade sizes. So, and kind of a, a know-how about the player. Look at the numbers. What numbers are you going to wear? Do, am I apt to sign him a number that he didn't have before? That plays bigger really during the winter for winter acquisitions, but during the summer and, and the in-season acquisitions, there are probably not a lot to choose from. Yeah. You guys work. You guys work. No, it's okay. You guys work so hard, and you put in so many long hours. I got to think because of that, getting the appreciation and the acknowledgement from players, um, and the, the the fact they appreciate the work you guys put in, that's got to be huge for you and your staff. And I imagine some players are very appreciative, and like in all walks of life, some people maybe don't show the appreciation quite as much how important is that to you when you see a player and he kind of acknowledges what you and your staff do and and it's got a i'd imagine that's important to you guys well it's so special joe because when you do hear it you tell your other workers i tell cliffy i tell brian i tell maddie mikey hey this person said this just right. just to pass it on so they know what a good person this guy is what he said what he has appreciated a lot of guys appreciate it without saying anything and there are guys that expect it, but they're not bad about it. It's just the way they were – maybe they were a younger player and sure. they've been pampered all their life. Who knows? Right, right. It's not a knock on them. It's just a diff- they come from a different walk of life. Yeah. I was counted up. I believe 18 different managers in Oakland since, since the team has been here. That's a lot of guys, a lot of personalities you've gotten to know. Um, have there been some that you've had a lot better relationships with, you've gotten closer to than others? Have there been a couple managers that, that maybe you struck a bond with or just in particular you've uh, – you really had a great relationship well, with Well, you know, uh, Tony LaRusso was an original Oakland A. That's so that's right, I yeah. knew him as a player in 1968 and kind of followed his career, uh, f- knowing that he was going to law school, then he wanted to get back into baseball. He started by double-A managing, kind of followed his career through the White Sox and then on to us. So he got, and I go back to farthest, yeah. current manager Bob Melvin, I knew him from when I was in the visiting clubhouse as a manager over there in the and I kid oh, yeah. Bob about the many hats he wore over there playing with <laughs> Boston and the Giants and Milwaukee, everywhere yeah, he's played. Right. So, you know, there are special relations all the time. I hear from Art Howell all the time. Uh, one person I wish I would have spent more time with outside of baseball was Dick Williams, who's now in okay. the Hall of Fame. Yeah. When, when we decided to honor him here the year of his induction, he was so pumped up to be back to Oakland and the bad taste out of his mouth that he, he had the problems with Charlie Finley. It was a new regime and he was... Happy to be here and happy to be recognized as an Oakland A. So I had special relations with all of them. And Chuck Tanner, John McNamara. Um, the one I probably knew the least was Bob Kennedy. He was here that first year, and I was just a little punk kid catching balls <laughs> right, down the left field right. line. Yeah. So I didn't really get to interact with him too much. But got to know his son, uh, Bob Jr., and uh, uh, Terry, too. So uh, they were playing pro ball later. So there's been a special relationship all along the way. Terry Kennedy, the catcher? Yes. I never made that connection. I didn't know yeah. the two. I never put those two together. That's really interesting. Um, we talk a lot about the roster turnover with this team, how much the roster changes, the, the player's roster. But when it comes to staff, there's a lot of you that have been here a very long time. You've been here ever since the team was in Oakland. Mickey Morabito, the traveling secretary, I believe has been here since around 1980, if I'm correct. Pam Pitts, who's the director of baseball administration, 35-plus years. What does it mean to you that so many of the people – the support staff, a lot of the behind-the-scenes people 
have been here so long, you've seen the familiar faces, the same faces for so many years. Well, I think part of it is none of us want to get rich. <laughs> we are rich in our employment. And you like in long hours. Exactly, long, exactly. Hours. Um, no, it's, it's a love of the game, a love of the position. I tell people that it's not a 50-week-a-year job. There are long hours and they're consecutive. I go 20, 25 days without a real full day off at times during the season. But at the end of the year, it's like light at the end of the tunnel when the season is ending. And so your schedule completely changes. Uh, of course, I live in Arizona, so I'm down there for the better part of the winter, and I can operate from down there. It's not a normal 9 to 5, 50-week job. So, you know, it's every day is different. You can come to the ballpark. People say you can see something in a game that you've never seen right. before any given day. Right. And it's the same way in the in a club here. And we have special relationships here. We have fun. We joke. We play. But we're serious when we have to. And we get the job done. Uh, a guy like Mickey Morabito, that's all he knows. And this is all I know. And, right. and you're not going to make a change in life now. Just happy to be here. And here's the way I look at it. There are 30 major league teams. There's 30 major league equipment managers in the whole Northern California. I'm sorry, North America, counting Canada. And I'm special to be one of those guys. That's a really good way to look at it. Uh, How often do you get a player to join the team and they say, you know what, this is the number I have. This is the number I wore with my last team. I really want to get this number. And maybe it's taken by somebody else already. Is that between the two players to work that out? If If the guy who arrives with the A's really wants that number? Do you ever get involved? Maybe if one guy's a veteran... And, and a really younger guy with not much seniority has that number here. How does that work out? Do you get involved in that at all? In most cases, I'll let them work it out. I'll do, I'll do the, uh, the early work, and I'll mention it to the player that's currently got number and say, hey, we just got so-and-so, and he really liked to wear that number. Why don't you guys work it out? Right. A lot of times younger players say, just give it to him. I don't care. I didn't care yeah. what number I had. <laughs> a lot of times some players will say, well, let me see what I can negotiate for. Right, right. Um, uh, now, if it's during the winter, we get a we get a veteran that's had the same number, and I got a rookie, a guy that's maybe got less than half a year in the big leagues. I'll just make the switch, and this guy can't say anything. Yeah. <laughs> so it's it's really seniority based, and uh, uh, it's big to some people. The joke around about twenty years ago is. Guys uh, didn't want to change their numbers because they didn't want to buy their wife new jewelry because they had <laughs> necklaces and pendants that had their numbers on it. Right. Hey, let's go back to all those managers you've gotten to know. You said you knew Larusa from when he was a young player here. Back then, did you get any sense? You know what? I could see this guy managing. Maybe, maybe he's got some leadership type material. Obviously, he did so well once he started running this ball club. You know, I saw that in Tony. Um, I actually saw it in Art Howe. Um, uh, John McNamara was already managed in the minor leagues, but as as far as former players and seeing that, um, uh, I saw it in those guys. You, I mean, it was very evident they were respected. Yeah. Uh, the one I'm surprised that didn't manage, and I see him all the time play golf with him during the winter, is Sal Bando. He was a natural leader, right. but he took it a step ahead. He was a general manager. Right. So uh, uh, you, you see those things, those those. I mean, today I can see Mark Kotze being a manager in a big league sure. sometime soon. Um, so you notice those things. It's a leadership, and more than anything, it's the respect you get they get from everybody, right. not, not just other players or coaches or the manager they're playing for at the time, but everybody within baseball. You could probably be a sounding board for these managers, right? Your office is right down, right down the hall from them. They could probably come and just – you know, unload on you, share stuff with you. They know you're not going to, you know, it's safe talking to you about it. Is that, do you have that kind of relationship? Absolutely. They, they know my loyalties to the organization. And if they've got a problem or if I, if I think, you know, there have been a couple of times when I went in and, and told Tony, Hey, maybe it's time for a meeting. Just 
Yeah. Maybe you should talk. And managers don't like to hold meetings. Right. Because that makes it sound like you're panicking because you're yeah. losing. But just about other situations. So my rep, my reputation and my respect for them comes my way, too. Yeah. And they'll come in here and they'll sound off. And they're not asking me to be a pipeline at all. And I won't right. do that. Yeah. But uh, they will talk about things. How's things going? Bob Guerin spent a lot of time in here. Mm-hmm. Ken Mock has spent a lot of time in here. Bob Melvin will sit in mm-hmm. here. He likes to the banner that we have with the clubhouse staff or maybe I've got a former player like Mark Mulder or, yeah. or Scott Hatterberg in here and it's it's funny all the different people you see in here and it includes the managers just talking about the club and the daily life of baseball. Yeah, your office and we're sitting in your office talking here. It's got great memorabilia in it and this place is truly a gathering place for for everybody. When I first walk in, it's the first room you see and I see players in here sometimes, I see broadcasters, front office people, um how did your office kind of become this gathering place, and do you like that dynamic about it? I do. It's big enough. I designed this office, even though I wasn't in here the first two years, but I was on a design team with our architects when we remodeled this area. But the thing is, it's, it's a, the greatest attribute to this office is its proximity, and the greatest compliment I ever got was we had a going-away luncheon for Sandy Alderson when he was leaving the A's and going to the commissioner's office, and we had a luncheon downtown at Kaiser Center, and a few people spoke, and Bill King got up and said, "You know, I walked in the office and I and I passed Steve Eusen. You never see, you never know who's going to be in his office. It could be a Hall of Famer, it could be a football player, it could be an actor, somebody else." And I started thinking about that. And as I watch people walk by, or the different people who've come in and sat yeah. in my office over the years, and it's so true. And I think that's a kind of a testimony to this is a place of peace. Is my office, and <laughs> players are coming here right. to get away. Trainers will come in here, get away, coaches, everybody. So, uh, But it's also a good place to sit and talk. Well, the reflection of your personality, too. People like being around you, so that's a, that's a great thing. Thank you. Um, this team's had two dominant eras since it's been in Oakland. Early 70s, you win three straight World, Cha- World Series championships. Late 80s, you go to three straight World Series. Do you see similarities between those two eras of teams? Are they completely different? Seems like they all had their own larger-than-life personalities. Um, were those teams at all similar? Do they have something in common? Or are we talking apples and oranges here? I think, well, uh, personalities are, are more noted these days. I mean, the Consecos and things. Right. But the, the foundation for both those cl- organizations or both those uh, eras was that they are built from within. Mm-hmm. McGuire, Conseco, Steinbeck. Um, now, we did pick up Stewart and, and Mike Moore, but Kurt Young and, and a few of those guys are all organizational guys. Mike right. Gallego, Tony Phillips. So... Um, I think that's the biggest similarity. Uh, they had good leadership. They had good management. Uh, they all wanted to win. I mean, the, the, the funny line we joke about is we were in Cincinnati from the beginning of the 1990 World Series, and Canseco said, why are we always in the World Series? <laughs> it's like, isn't that your goal? And, and he, I think he was saying in jest, but, but uh, uh, there's another guy who came up through the system and uh, proud to be in Oakland A, but... Uh, that's the biggest similarity. We saw some of that same stuff in the teams uh, right at the turn of the century uh, with uh, the guys we had 2000, 2001, 2002, and three, and then later on with uh, with the Bob Melvin clubs that we you know with a little breaks here could have gone on to be a world right. champion. It's just we couldn't get out of that first round. No doubt. Hey, a couple more for you here. I know you got to get rolling, but you spent nineteen seventy four to nineteen ninety three. You were actually actually the visiting clubhouse manager. A lot of people probably don't know when a visiting team comes in. The home team kind of staffs the clubhouse and takes care of the teams and everything. Are you able to build any special bonds with opposing players like that over the years that really kind of that kind of stuck with you? 
Absolutely. Uh, two of my favorite guys over there, and they're on my what I call old Voos team, although I've never sat down and put that the on paper. Old Voos team. That yeah. needs to be, we need to do like a half-hour TV uh, special yeah. of that or something. I've never put it on paper, but I'll say that guy's an old Voos team. That sounds pretty uh, good. A couple of the guys I'm, I got really close to was George Brett and Robin Young. Wow. And their years in the big leagues as players about mirrored my 20 years over there. I think okay. Brett, Brett came up a little bit in, in 73. I think Robin was up a little bit before right. that, but they both retired. Uh, about the same time, I mean, I I think of all those great guys. Harmon Killebrew, who was only two years as a player in the visiting clubhouse, but I got to know him later as a broadcaster with us in Minnesota and actually with the Angels. And what a gentleman and a special guy. And I'd run into because he lived in Arizona during the winter. And yeah. We'd run into each other a couple of times, maybe on a golf course. Cal Ripken Jr. is one of my favorite guys. I mean, to see the work that he went through to, to get as good as he was and um, – what he had to go through when he was going through that that uh, streak, it was pretty special. Right. Last one for you. We know that the A's president, Dave Cavill, is working hard to get a new ballpark to to get a new to get a new ballpark location. <laughs> Everybody's walking by. They need to get your attention here. Last one for you. Uh, let's say Dave Cavill comes to you. Maybe he has already. Hey, Voos, the new stadium. There's one characteristic you could have. One preference you would want for a new stadium. What would it be? What would you most wish for in a, in a, in a ballpark, whether it's clubhouse accommodations? Selfishly, more storage. Okay. Uh, but uh, I think it needs to be fan-friendly. Need it needs to have a good access. Uh, player amenities are so important nowadays. Um, so I'm, you know, we, I, I've got a file on my laptop that's been switched to about three different laptops over the years. It started in 2001 and what we needed a new stadium. And uh, I've been adding to that and visiting every new stadium and not only just looking at what they have, but asking why did they do it this way. And so I've got a whole docket of stuff that we need to do with a new stadium on my level. And uh, I'm so looking forward to getting that done, whether it's downtown or it's by Laney College, wherever right. the sites are mentioned or here at the state Coliseum site. I'm so looking forward to it and hoping to be a part of it. It's a pleasure getting a chance to spend so much time with you. Thanks for everything. Congrats on a, on a long, fantastic career that keeps on going. Thanks so much, Boots. Thanks, Joe. Always a pleasure. And that baby's gone. And a miss. He struck him out. The A's have won the game in the bottom of the 10th inning. What is happening in Oakland, Ray Fossey? I have no idea, Glenn Kuyper. The A's Insider Podcast on CSNCalifornia.com.